Hello and welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep in God's Word so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. My name is Ben Jacobson. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota, and I am joined today by my colleague, Pastor Mike Toomey. Mike? Fantastic to be back on the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. We're starting a new book today. We're starting the book of Exodus. We've been working our way through Scripture at a pretty fast clip. We're trying to cover in this year the entire arc, the entire story. And so, you know, I want to say we're going to hit the highlights, but it's all highlights. So we're hitting touch points of of the story. And well, uh, once we finish, we'll go back and we'll tell it again with with other touch points so eventually we'll get the whole of scripture. Right. And so here we are in Exodus. Yes, we are here in Exodus and we've made a jump from uh, we were with uh Jacob last week, but now we're here moving to Exodus. We'll talk about how we got from Genesis to Exodus and and what happened in between, but before we do that, we're going to read Exodus 1 and 2 and before we do that, I'm going to ask you a question, Mike. Today okay. we're going to see how God works through people, sometimes unlikely people, sometimes uh, people we wouldn't expect. Mike, who is someone, and no doubt there's many, who's someone who's worked there, in your life? You're right. There are so many people in my life that have where God has worked through them to help me understand who Jesus is. I want to share one that I think the people of hope should know about, and if you're not the Part of our congregation, I think all all of uh, all Christians should should know about her, and her name was Doris Turk. Okay, Doris was Hope's children's choir director for years, decades. Hmm. She was a piano teacher for decades. Um, that was her livelihood was teaching piano to kids. Hmm. She loved Jesus. She loved children, and she shared the gospel through those two means. This woman would, she had a huge number of kids in, in the children's choir when I when I was a, a, a child. She was so dedicated. She picked up a phone mm-hmm. and she called every family on Saturday night to remind them really? that their children were singing. Not an email. Yeah. I mean, there was an email at the time, right? Yeah. Um, no, co- you can't copy and paste in a phone call. No, you can't. <laughs> and I have a feeling it was even a rotary phone. <laughs> <laughs> so there she was. She would call every family on Saturday night reminding them, hey, your kids are singing tomorrow morning. Hmm. We want them there. Hmm. Uh, she was so dedicated and, and so organized when it came to that sort of thing that it made a tremendous difference in my life. Being part of her choir, being part of being one of her piano students, um, seeing her love for Jesus, but it, it wasn't just me. It was hundreds of kids in this community. Hmm. So thank God for Doris Turk. Yeah, amazing. Our world probably has craves that personal connection, like yeah. a phone call, like a phone call. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's something that we we all long for is for someone to reach out and say hey come on come on board so and it's amazing isn't it how you the things that we remember and the people in our lives are are the people who did what were maybe at the time seemingly small things and how small things can have a huge impact on yes. who we are yes 
so often we get caught up in what is the one big thing God wants me to do in my life, my life. And maybe there is one big thing that God really wants you to do, but I think God wants you to do a whole lot of little things and and to be consistent Mm -hmm. and to constantly day in and day out, share, share that love with people through the ordinary things in life. And most big things are accomplished through small actions. Yep. I mean, an Olympian (laughs) who wins a gold Think of all the decisions that happened before they took that downhill ski run. How Absol- many times they've done it before? Yes. You, you know? think about it. How many times did they have to? How many times did they have to fall down? How many times did they have to learn how to turn left, turn right? Um, all of those little things, and often years and sometimes decades of practice, yeah. lead to the one event. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I suppose it's the same way as people of faith that we are faced with life and. What we do is we make lots of small decisions. And we're going to see, I think, in what follows in Exodus, some big decisions and some small decisions and how God uses those decisions of people to carry out his work in the world. So we'll read from Exodus 1 and 2. And this is from the New International Version. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and worked with them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives 
and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it in among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Rural asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So when you hear that, when you see that, when it's read, what words stick out to you, Mike? What questions come to your mind? I think when we come back to that idea, who are the people doing the ordinary things in life? Mm-hmm. What sticks out of me this time as we read this, in fact, it's kind of funny, we, we actually read this earlier together um, about half a year ago. Um, and and, and what, what what jumps out of to me this time is the midwives, and they are named. Mm-hmm. They, they, we know that it was Shipra and Pua who made sure that these Hebrew boys lived. Mm-hmm. They did what was right in the sight of God. And they just went about their business. They went about their work, their godly work, and they just did it. Even the sake, even though that they're going to get in some trouble here, yeah, which or, or they at did. risk. Yeah, <laughs> actually, when you think about what what is, it is interesting. Pharaoh doesn't have a name. We don't know the name of the Pharaoh. No, nope. he's referred to as the king, as the Pharaoh. Uh, we don't know the name of the Pharaoh's daughter. Nope. We, you know, these people of great importance. Right. Are not named in the story, but they're these people who many would say were the least of these we have got, names. We got Shipra and we got Pua. They did what was right. And and they were the ones who made sure, again, these Hebrew baby boys were, were saved. And specifically, um, this sets up the introduction into Moses, a, a baby Hebrew boy. Who gets a name. Right, who gets uh, a name? You know, speaking of names, this mm-hmm. just popped off the page while I was reading this. I haven't actually ever noticed or thought about this before, um, and I'm not sure how much theological weight it mm-hmm. carries. But uh, the name Rule, for yes. any of our Lord of the Rings fans, John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Tolkien. Yep, uh, his name comes from there. Yep, and your name is here too. So, you know, there, there's Benjamin there. I right? did see my name there. Yep. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Less important than J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, anything else? What else? Any questions or that jumped out at me? I, I think uh, one of the other things. I think I might have brought this up last time, but if we if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, and maybe you forgot, Moses was put in a basket. Hmm. Um, so some people say he was a basket case. Okay, <laughs> <clears throat> um, bad joke. That word here is actually ark. It's an ark. It's a baby ark. Literally, it's a baby ark. And so that's um, Moses is delivered through water. So hearkening back to the story in Genesis where Noah Noah Mm -hmm. and his family are delivered through an ark. Yes. Yeah. This is a story of deliverance. Yeah. That is, that. you know, those little details are so interesting, how they draw the stories together. Yes. And how we can see how God is building upon what he's... There been are, doing. And, and that's why it's important to go deep into these stories, to see the red threads that are here throughout Scripture that are tying everything together so that we can understand God's saving plan for all of humanity and for us personally. Yeah. So we're going to cover a f- uh, some points in this story, but no, also we've already referenced some other episodes that we have covered this particular story in its entirety. I would say, although they all sort of weave together, right? The, and that's mm-hmm. why we're trying to cover the entire story of Scripture, because no slice uh, gives us the 
entire glimpse, right? Correct. Uh, so episodes four, five, and six of the first season of Deeply Rooted, we'll cover those stories. We're also going to talk a little bit about Joseph and his brothers, just briefly, because we have to realize how we got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to listen to more about Joseph and his brothers, that's episode three. We've already done that. And so you'll hear more in that podcast. But let's start, Mike. We start with, okay, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt. So we've made a, yep. a jump. We weren't in Egypt in the last time we uh, recorded a podcast because we were with Jacob. Mm-hmm. How did we get here? Good question. So there's a, uh, Jacob is sold into slavery. Joseph. Joseph, excuse me. Oh boy, man alive. Um, hey, Joseph, two J names. I know. Uh, thank you for correcting me. Joseph is sold into slavery, so he's one of the brothers. Um, sold into slavery um, by his brothers, and he's down there in Egypt. And then guess what happens? There's a famine. Hmm. And um, Joseph, while he's down there in slavery, rises to a place of great importance. His brothers show up years later. They're looking for food. And Joseph and his brothers have some sort of reconciliation while they're there. And they stay down there. And that's really where the story picks up. So other people then follow, right? Mm -hmm. Jacob and his family follow to Egypt because this is a place that is prepared for famine. They have food. And so they come there. And that's why the people of Israel are now in Egypt. And things go pretty well there for a while. For hundreds of years. Was it like 430 years? That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. So it it goes very well for those number of years. What I love about Scripture is how quickly it can turn. The transitions often happen in the matter of a verse. So Mm -hmm. um, verse 7 here you get, uh, you know, they increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Which then, is what was supposed to be happening, yep. right? Regardless, right? That, that's exactly, that's part of God's promises. You are going to have a land, you're going to be uh, numerous, you're going to be a blessing to the nation. So this is part of that promise being fulfilled. And then we have the trouble arises, verse 8. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Now we got troubles. Here the story turns, the the people, the Hebrew people, he realizes how numerous they are. He begins to oppress them, thinking that this is a good thing to do. God continues to work through that oppression, again, through the ordinary people like um, Shipra and Pua, through Moses' parents, through his sister. Um, God continues to work in spite of the evil that's happening around them and to them. Yeah, so let's let's just draw out who are some of those people. Draw out. That, good, <laughs> nice pun there. Um, <clears throat> so Moses means to draw out. You know, what's in a name? Uh, Moses means to draw out. It means he got drawn out of the uh, out of the uh, the Nile River there. Yeah, because um, the Nile became this place of death, right? Mm-hmm. As all these, yep. you, the horror of this. I mean, we don't want to gloss over this. I read this story in a children's Bible last night, and it yes. sort of softened. The intensity of it, which I understand, yep. Uh, but we can't ignore it. When you're reading to your child, you read this as um, something cute, where we put a child in a basket and he floated gently down the river, and um, you know he was rescued. But you think of that mother 
placing her son in that basket, sending him out into mm-hmm. the river. Uh, and it's also interesting to think he went into the river like lots of other children. Yep. She put him out into that river, but she must have trusted that something was going to happen. Yep. Yep. So she who should. are yeah who are these people who are the people Moses is one and Moses is kind of the of course the main character of this story. So again, we got Shipra, we got Puo, we got um, his mother. Um, she's trying to hide him. She hid him for three months. This this had to be difficult trying to hide a, a newborn uh, baby. Um, she placed a child, um, you know, made, made this uh, basket, um, put him into the river, and, and then his sister. Right there's a sister. Right, um, I believe this is Miriam, um, and uh, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. She's watching. So do you think? Do you think at this point his sister? And I don't think we can know the answer to this. Do you mm-hmm. think she's in on it, or is she? Is she taking advantage of a situation or is she just, I got to see what happens to him? That's a good question. Um, I think she's in on it. Mm. I think she's helping direct mm-hmm. everything that's going on here. Well, she certainly does some directing. I. So my kids, um, my, my, uh, my oldest girl would make sure that if her baby brother had been put in a basket and put into the river, she would have watched making sure that he was safe. Mm-hmm. I think she, I, mm-hmm. I think this is a similar situation yep. here. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. So then you get this whole thing, you know, Pharaoh's daughter comes down and she's going to bathe and, and, and she, she's bathing and she, she, you know, they, they find Moses here. Um, and then Moses' sister says this, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for yeah, you? Yeah. She's in on it. Yeah, let me go grab someone to help out with this. Yes, go. So the girl got the baby's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said, Take this baby, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Mm-hmm. So not only is she going to continue to be his, you know, Moses' mom is going to continue to be his mom, but she's getting paid for She's it. getting paid for it now. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. yeah. This is working out. You know, this isn't ideal, but it's working out far better than than what Pharaoh had planned. Um, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of things going on here, and I love how God continues to work in and through the pain that's going on and bringing about something much greater. Yeah, and it's interesting. So Moses's name, we talked about that, it, to be drawn out. Yep. The name is given to him by the Egyptian princess. Yep. She named him Moses, and Moses isn't the only one who's going to be drawn out of the water no. in this story. That name foreshadows God's actions. This, the, so Moses' story is um, one of the things that we think of Moses as, as the deliverer of the, the Hebrew people from bondage in Egypt. And one of the things that um, happens in that process is they pass through the Nile River. They, God draws out the Hebrew people from the Nile River. He saves them through that water. Uh, that's what Moses is, is is leading the people to do. So, spoiler alert, we mm-hmm. know that Moses will eventually be integral in, in yep. getting the people out of slavery in Egypt. Mm-hmm. How does he go from baby to deliverer? There's a lot that goes on between yes. this and that. So these verses, again, as you're reading them, 40 years happen in a matter of a verse. One day after Moses had grown up, 
40 years from what uh, from what I've been told. Mm-hmm. So Moses is about 40 years old in verse 11 and verse um, um, 10. He's three months old. 40 years go, goes by, and he has been taught the best education. He's been brought up in Pharaoh's household. I mean, he's been given a, a very... Uh, good life and great education. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people. He, he must know that he is Hebrew. Um, when he sees yeah. this this problem going on, um, he becomes a murderer. He does murder somebody. He tries to cover it up. Um, he realizes he can't cover it up. And when he realizes he's going to get, um, that Pharaoh is going to kill him, he runs away. So now he runs to Midian. This is um, likely on the Sinai Peninsula. Um, there's some argument over where it is, but we're, let's just go with a, a more traditional understanding. This is on the Sinai Peninsula, um, probably on the eastern side, if I remember my maps right. He gets um, he encounters a bunch of um, women who are at a well. Again, water. Mm. Uh, water seems to be a, a deliverance thing that's going on here in this particular story. Um, he makes sure that the, the women who are there are able to um, water their animals. Um, he makes sure that the, the shepherds that are um, pushing them out are, um, that they're not away. He drove them away. Um, uh, he came to the rescue. He watered their flock. Um, so he meets these, these girls. He meets, um, he, he meets the priest of Midian. He meets um, um, Jethro. And he marries one of the girls. He has children with them, and he's been given a job. He's been given shelter. Um, he's given a family. And about another 40 years of him shepherding and understanding the Sinai Peninsula happens hmm. in a matter of a few verses. If you think about it, much of Moses' life happens from verse 11 through what, about 24, or to the end of the chapter there. Yeah. 25. Yeah. Yeah, big portion of his life. 80 years goes by in that period of time. God is using all of these 80 years, the day in and day out work, to prep him for his last 40 years. Hmm. Setting him up to be the deliverer that he wants Moses to be. Because we know that over the next 40 years that Moses will meet God in the burning bush, that God will call him to go and deliver people from the slaves out of Egypt yep. and to take them into the wilderness yep. and eventually teach them to, to live. the edge of the yep. promised land. Through a whole bunch of things, Moses himself doesn't get to the promised land. Right, He gets to see it. He gets to know that the people will enter it. And what's interesting to me is, you know, if we were to look at chapter one, chapter two, which we read, Mm -hmm. we get snippets. And if we were to just see a snippet of that story, if we were to just see the beginning of chapter two, we would would end with Moses as a baby. If we were to just end at, at where chapter two ends, we would see Moses basically at this part of his life where he's now has children, he's married, he has work, he's... He's set. None of these... He's established. Yes. And there's still so much more to come. Yep. And I think so many of us naturally have this view of our own lives of, we see the chapter that we're in, 
and we don't always see what's coming. Correct. And God uses, yes, the chapter we're in, but also the chapter that's coming. He's preparing you for the next event, the next thing that is happening in your life where he wants you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of, yeah, all of these stories are part of this bigger story, this grander narrative yes. of God's deliverance of a world that has fallen into sin. Yes. So where is that? Where, how do we see the gospel come to life in this story? Jesus and Moses are very similar in a lot of ways. Um, Jesus himself, okay, he's a, a Hebrew, and a, a Jew. Um, he is threatened by the powers that be as a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to go and run away, or his parents take him into hiding. And they, where do they take him? They take him to Egypt, right? right. Um, so Jesus comes out of Egypt himself after, um, again, after um, um, the powers that be were, were um, Herod at that time uh, was no longer around. And so uh, Jesus himself there in his early life um, mirrors um, Moses a bit. Jesus' early ministry has to go into the wilderness for a period of time. Now, um, Moses goes into the wilderness for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus does it for 40 days, yep. but that's significant. Yeah, um, We have Jesus delivering a sermon on the mount. We're going to find Moses delivering the law from where? A mountain. There's something similar there. Jesus goes up another mountain uh, with a couple of his disciples, and there he is transfigured. And there is this uh, epiphany where where God says, this is my son whom I've chosen. With him I'm well pleased. Um, And who is present in that moment but one of the prophets, Elijah and Moses. Jesus also, in John's gospel, he gives us what? A new command. Uh, Moses is often thought of the lawgiver. Mm-hmm. Jesus gives us a new command, a new law. Love one another as I have loved you. All right. These are the things that um, Jesus and Moses are very similar. When we think about Jesus also being a deliverer, a savior, Moses delivered God's people from slavery. Jesus delivers us from our bondage to sin. Mm-hmm. Jesus does through, does this through giving of his own self. Mm-hmm. Um, he does it through the cross. We've talked about how water shows up time and time again in Moses' story. Um, it showed up in Jesus' story. It shows up in his ba- in Jesus' baptism. Water shows up in when Jesus turns water into wine. Um, it also shows up at his death. When Jesus is pierced, there's a flow of water and blood that comes from that. Um, there's probably a, there is a physical reason for that. But the reason why it's mentioned in Holy Scriptures is also for a theological reason. To show us that God is saving us once more through water and blood. Jesus is our Savior who delivers us from sin, death, and the devil beyond any powers that this world can, can, give to, can, can, can come at us. And so this story points to that reality, and it draws us into and out of that same reality, that there is salvation, that we are freed from something, from sin and death 
and for something to live in this world as people of God, which is exactly what happens to to the Israelites in the story of the Exodus. They are freed from the grip of Pharaoh not to go out and do whatever they want, but to learn to be people of God. To be the people of God. Who who bear the message of God's salvation in the world. Next week, we are going to be in Deuteronomy. So we'll skip uh, yet again over Leviticus. You're going to skip Leviticus. Over numbers. (laughs) Yes. Leviticus, um, um, from a nerdy pastor point of view, is an awesome book to read. Um, So read it. Yeah. But again, we're touching. We have touch points as we ju- jump through this. Eventually, so, we'll get there. Eventually, but we're we going to have to cycle back around. We'll have to cycle back around. Cycle back around. So, yep. we'll have you back on uh, next week, folks. Pastor Mike, thanks for being with us. Uh, remember that you can share this on social media. That you can like it. That you can subscribe, and that uh, we'll be back again each week with another passage. And in the meantime, don't forget to stay deeply rooted.